Greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Matt Fitzsimmons. Now, Matt has written a thriller with a science fiction bent called Constance. Uh, That's his latest book, and we're going to talk to him about that. Uh, But first, I need to let you know that Wrong Place Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If you dig that kind of work, you can find out more at their website, downandoutbooks.com. Down and Out Books, take the journey with us. All right. I am coming to you from Central Oregon, as always. Wrong place, right crime world headquarters. (laughs) And uh, believe me, I think summer is definitely over. I don't know what it's like where you're at, but here it is cold, cold, cold overnight here in the high desert of Central Oregon. Uh, I hope that uh, it's warm where you are, either naturally or with some man-made, woman-made help. Hope you're staying healthy and enjoying lots of good books. Uh, Speaking of which, why don't we dive straight into my conversation with Matthew Fitzsimmons and talk about his book, Constance. Uh, Well, hey, Matthew, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Frank. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, So we're going to talk about Constance, your new book, uh, a bit here. Um, I did want to touch on, I mean, Constance is a thriller slash sci-fi book from the, from the look of it. And it's actually a very intriguing premise, but you're, you're no stranger to the thriller environment because you did write a five book series that I think could pretty fairly be called thrillers. Yeah, for sure. Gibson Vaughn. Can you tell me just a little bit about that? So people kind of know what, what your writer roots are. Gibson Vaughn series is a about a, a young guy, uh, a former Marine. Is basically I wanted to write a book about a hacker. His background is uh, special forces hacking for a branch called the Information, which is not a well-known branch, but it was the branch that uh, basically came to prominence after uh, Operation, I think it was Desert Claw, went uh, went sideways trying to rescue the Iran hostages. And the U.S. military felt that uh, the CIA had not been come forthcoming with their intelligence. So they said, the hell with the CIA, we're going to have our own intelligence branch, and that is the information. And they basically do all of the advanced intel work for SOCOM and all the special forces groups. All kinds of intel? Are we talking human, SIGINT? Well, well, it was originally a SIGINT uh, operation. I think it has broadened um, in scope, although it, it's, it's one of those shadowy groups that really doesn't like to talk about itself a whole lot. You know, it came out of the, the fact that I never felt that that hacking had been portrayed realistically. That in, you know, you, you generally only saw it in, you know, sort of like swordfish, where it's like, I'm going to put a gun to your head. You need to hack, hack this bank in 60 seconds, or we're going to blow it. Also, while, uh, while being pleasured by a lovely lady, or else you're not a real hacker. And it was just sort of this nonsensical, you know, let's spice it up for, you know, the layman. And I really wanted to, you know, hacking is so much more complex and much slower and more detail oriented. And I wanted to, and I think it's really just kind of modern con artistry. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of hackers say that the, the weakest link in any system is the wetware, which is the people. 
Um, and so it's mostly conning people into giving up their passwords. Yeah. So the and guy so whose password is password one, password two, password three. <laughs> yeah. Or how to get you to, you know, it's, it's phishing, how to get you to click on a link that you shouldn't click on, how to make an email look like it's coming from your mother with a link to a Facebook story. That's really going to give me access to your computer. All of these basically old, you know, old school cons dressed up for the digital age. So Gibson's a, a, a con artist, a white hat con artist hacker. Now, do you have a background in, in computers that gave you any special insight into this or did you have to do a lot of research? I did a lot of research. I do not. I mean, I am, I am capable on a computer, but I am no hacker by any stretch of the imagination. I uh, happen, I live in Washington, DC and I, one of my very good friends uh, is it does insider threat for a, a major American contractor here in the area. And I actually dedicated the third book to him because he, without him, Gibson Vaughn would not, he, basically I would be like, all right, am I, you know, help me color inside the lines. Like, <laughs> I, I, like yes, there's, a, there, there's some places where you sort of got to speed things up, but more or less I was like, am I, am I inside the lines here? Is this a realistic, what's in you know, And often I'd be like, okay, I want him to do this. What's the, you know, and he'd give me three options. He'd be like, all right, you could do it this way. You do this way. You could do it this way. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to take the the most fun of those three and I'll use that. But tried to stay within what is actually possible within hacking. Now, in a lot of thrillers, you get people who are either Jason Bourne. So they're already, right. you know, skilled in all of the different arts, including the physical and, and you know, the martial and weaponry and so forth. Or you get people who maybe are support characters that grow into that role. I'm thinking of uh, James Swallow writes the Mark Dane series, and that guy kind of started as the guy in the van, as opposed to, say, the Jack Bauer sort of character. Now, is Gibson Vaughn kind of the guy in the van doing the hacking that gets into the physical, or does he kind of remain in that support role, or, or how does that develop? Well, I made him a Marine hacker. So I tried to sort of straddle it. I didn't want him to be extraordinary. No, he's not. Um, he's not Jack Bauer. He's not Jack Reacher. But neither is he the guy in the van. One of the guys I've really been enjoying is uh, Andy Weir, mm -hmm. uh, who the Martian and lately Project Hail Mary. Mm -hmm. And basically, in both of those books, he took the guy in the van and moved him front and center. Mm -hmm. He took the scientist character, and basically, they're James Bond stories. Except the game, the action sequences are his character sciencing, uh, sciencing the shit out of things as, right. as Andy Weir could. And I really mm -hmm. like that. I like the, you know, the let's take a, a character that you don't normally see front and center in one of these books. And the other vein of thrillers is where the character is entirely in every person and has no skills whatsoever. A uh, uh, woman in the window, a girl on the train, you know, those sorts of books where it's a total amateurs try and place themselves as the detective. So uh, Gibson for me is, is mostly just interesting as a character with a set of skills, uh, but is not going to single-handedly, you know, fight his way through a room of, uh, of baddies, but he has a, a group, you know, that and, and as the series goes on, he sort of develops a, a team. Uh, someone pointed out to me that I, that in the latter books, it, it almost has like an A team feel to it, which I had not occurred to me. Although I think my 14 year old self secretly fist pumped and was like, yeah, A team. Uh, so yeah. Well, you talk about science and, and I think that's a, a good segue into your current book, Constance, because 
this is a book that is has has some science basis or or a concept you know cloning is definitely something sciency and it is set in the near future which i i found interesting because you know in your thrillers you know based on what you talked about with gibson vaughn and and making the hacking you know be colored within the lines a bit you have to take what's happening and convince the reader that it's probable in order for them to have a suspension of disbelief. But when you set something in the near future, you can kind of move from probable to possible and the tether of that suspension of disbelief doesn't snap. Um, and that's what you've kind of done here with, with Constance. Maybe you could share like the thumbnail sketch of the premise. It's set in uh, the Washington, D.C. area in uh, 2040, so about 20 years from now. And the premise of it, the, the, the world-building premise of it is that a sort of a visionary scientist has taken human cloning and consciousness capture and combined the two technologies and has basically created a service where a client, a very wealthy client, because it's not a cheap service, uh, can create a clone of themselves that's, that it remains in stasis at the company facility and they keep a regularly updated uh, upload of the client's consciousness. And in the event that tragedy falls the client and the client dies, the consciousness is downloaded into the clone. The clone is revived. And in theory, the client's life continues relatively uninterrupted. And it's the book is about one such client who uh, awakes uh, and discovers that their original, the, the, the first version of herself, uh, was likely murdered and that there was foul play. And in, it basically came from a premise, an idea I had, which was how could I contrive to have the detective and the victim be the same person in the same story? To my mind, it is a, a mystery story. It's a thriller. Mm -hmm. It's a, she is both detective and victim. She has to solve her own murder and everything else sort of spring, sprang from that, uh, you know, that, that, the germ of that idea. So it's a very original premise, but you know, there's nothing new under the sun. So there's also some Absolutely. elements that I, I can sense from stories I've enjoyed. Um, there's a movie in 87 uh, called No Way Out with, with Kevin Costner where, sure. uh, spoiler alert for those who haven't watched it yet, you know, he, he's looking for a guy that's him. And, and so that's kind of cool. And then I watched Altered Carbon recently and there's elements of that in there too, that consciousness bit. Uh, but it's really cool because when, when I read the synopsis and I started thinking about this book, it, it really brought up the question that I think science fiction is really poised to explore, you know, better than some other genres. And it's just that simple thought of, you know, what makes us, us, you know, am I still me if my consciousness is uploaded into an Android or a computer database, you know, or mm -hmm. if I, or if I lose all of my memory and am I still me, you know, what makes us, us is, is that something that you explore at all in this book? To an extent, you know, it's, it's a, a it's, it's pretty well trammeled ground at this point. I mean, you go to, you know, do androids dream of electric sheep and blade runner, it, it, you know, I robot, you know, it's a 2001, a space odyssey with Hal. you know, for thousands of years, we had a very set idea of what, made a person a person and really within the last 70 or 80 years and moving in the future some of those sort of ancient assumptions are going to start getting tested as we're able to do things as we're already able to do things that, that were inconceivable when i was born when you were born when most of us were born um 
So yes, the, you know, that idea of like what makes a person a person does play into it. For me, I kind of wanted to, at, there's a point at which I, I say, no, she is her. I was less interested in sort of posing the question, is Constance Constance, than does Constance think she's Constance? And mm-hmm. uh, not, not, you know, I, to me, she is like, she is herself, although she's also different that they, you know, that, you know, basically the premise of the book is that when she wakes up, there's sort of 18 months since her last memory upload. So she's missing 18 months of memory. Mm-hmm. And so in addition to sort of investigating the murder of her, her, her original, she's also trying to reconstruct what direction her life took and how she's changed. And she sort of looks at those changes and go, wow, how did that happen? I don't know how I, how would I have gotten to that? And the fact, and some, you know, she's on a different path. Mm-hmm. And that she can't recreate the life that this other version of her lived. So, so while she is herself, she's also not herself. And then the bigger, the bigger and interesting question to me is who gets to say uh, is legally who gets to say, you know, what what is a person and what isn't a person, and socially and culturally, how are how are Amer- how would America respond to human clones? And some people would respond very positively and some people would respond extremely negatively. And the clone herself has to sort of weather and sort of travel through that world. Um, and that did, that did remind me of Blade Runner, like that, that Roy Batty speech at the end where, you know, they are basically rejected. They just want the opportunity to live while everyone around them is saying, well, you're not, and we're going to, make that impossible for you because i you know so that that to me was the was sort of like the driver for it that's really well stated and made me think of several things while you were explaining that you know the whole what makes us us thing is actually a broader question than maybe we think of a lot of time for instance i said science fiction is great at uh, at exploring that and uh, you know more recent book i read uh, blake crouch's recursion take you know big stab at that using memory as kind of the inroad to explore it but even a movie like um uh, and i think it was based on a book uh, regarding henry a film that mm-hmm. harrison ford was in and i, I don't I, it feels like it was based on a book i could be wrong but here's a guy who suffers a tra- you know, traumatic brain injury gets you know and he's kind of a dick in the early the point that the movie is he's kind of a dick in the early goings on or at least has a lot of shortcomings and, and he changes as a person and because that change was affected by somebody shooting him in the head is it valid is it a valid change or should we you know feel bad for him or or is his now nicer person real i mean there's a lot of ways to approach this question oh absolutely yeah i mean you know it's it you know you know you talk about it doesn't even necessarily need to be traumatic i mean i think we all you know anyone who's got aging parents Mm-hmm. Starts to see personality mm-hmm. changes, uh, you know, some for good, some for not good, but like, but they don't ne- necessarily, they're not exactly the same people that they were. And some of it is that is just change over time, but some of it is also brain chemistry and, and other things happening. And which is the real, you know, if you want to say like, do we only have one personality in our lives? Mm-hmm. Are we us all the way through? If there isn't, you know, is in the regarding Henry scenario, is Henry the same person as as we like to talk about it before and after or is it two distinct people and you could throw into that then 
uh, as part of the discussion, because you're talking about brain chemistry as part of it, right? You could throw in uh, drug and alcohol abuse or other addictions. You know, is the Absolutely. Person, is sober Frank the one that uh, is the real him, or is you know drunk or stoned or wasted or gambling or whatever it is? I'm you know in the scenario. So, I mean, it's a fascinating conversation. We could go on for an hour, but um, I, I wanted to touch on the clone part of it because that's the science-y piece. And I think it's fascinating when when authors do this. And I, and I think it's a great way to get people thinking about things bigger than themselves. And that is to insert this sort of scientific question into other realms of the, our world, like social, the moral, the financial, the legal, the religious. And, and it's just, it, it, it's, if you really start thinking about it, it's a very fascinating topic. And what you've done here is create a scenario where several of those could, could be explored. I think one of the things that's interesting about technology is that we don't always think through what the repercussions of it don't always, you know, <laughs> or rarely, or yeah. rarely. Yeah, I think rarely is a better descriptor there for sure. You know, I, I, I was, uh, you know, I was all, I, I, I thought about my grandmother a lot when I wrote this. Like, my grandmother was born in 1921 and she passed in 1999. In 1935, two percent of American farms had electricity, which was the reason for the Rural Electrification Act of 35 was to start to address the fact that most, a huge swaths of America didn't have electricity. Um, and by the time she died, we had, you know, airplanes, cars, phones, radio, television, the beginnings computers. of the internet, the, the beginnings I mean, by 1999. Yeah. Like she, I mean, she, she saw this unbelievable amount of change, none of which she asked for or was consulted about. <laughs> um, the, and none of us, none of us is basically, we are at the mercy of technology mm. that, you know, we, that why at the same time as we are using technology to adapt our world, technology is adapting us to it. And then we get to a point where it's like, Ooh, is it a good idea? Should we have opened this Pandora's box? So we open all the boxes as soon as we can. Like where there's no, there's no pause. It's, it, I mean, it's, no. A, it's a classic line from Jurassic Park. You know, it's a, you know, you were so busy doing it. You didn't stop to ask whether you should. You know, because that was all Crichton wrote about. Crichton was just like, that was his main preoccupation was abuse of science. Mm -hmm. You're right. We don't even pause to ask if we should be opening this Pandora's box. We're reaching for a crowbar. And, <laughs> and that's how we approach it. And you, th you mentioned a number of things that occurred during your grandmother's lifetime. And, and certainly, you know, nuclear weaponry, space flight. I mean, there's so many things in just a 80-year period. And if we think about what's changed since 1999, only 22 years ago, you know, what's it going to be like 60 years from now when maybe you and I will still be around to look back and, and, and wonder uh, at what's occurred. Um, and that's what great science fiction does, I think, whether it's in the distant future or the near future, like Constance, is it, it explores those possibilities or even probabilities, I think, in some instances. I mean, cloning is already happening. So this is a science fiction thriller, wouldn't you say? As, am I on target with that? Yeah, I mean, I think if you had to, you know, it... it, it you know, it's it, it, when you start when you start lane jumping as I'm doing. You know, I, I've written <laughs> mystery mystery thrillers, and now I've written something else. 
you know, I was on Amazon and I saw that I was number one in number one in the Amazon store in dystopian science fiction. And I said, real, I didn't, I, and I, I, I literally, I was like, I didn't even know I had written, you know, it, it, you know, I, I did not know that that was the category that I was going to be in. Um, number one is it, number um, one. Number one is number one. No, no, for, for sure. That's great. But I was like, had I written a dystopian novel or are we, you know, I'm sort of fascinated by the need, the need to label. And, and th- this is an interesting experiment. We don't like to not know what we're getting into in terms of a book or a movie or a TV mm-hmm. show. Like, and I'd like, when was the last time you watched a movie that you knew nothing about except the title? By the time you sit down to watch a movie, you know who's in it, who directed it, what the genre is. And you may have seen the trailer, which pretty much gives away the first half of the movie. So you go into it with so much information that it's almost that. And I'm, I would argue that we want all of that. We don't want. I think people would get upset if they. Yeah. So here's a good example. Have you ever seen the movie American Psycho? Uh, no, actually, I have not with uh, Christian. With Christian, Christian Bale. Yeah, Christian so Bale. it was marketed as a horror film. Right. It's a comedy. Yeah, it's a satire. It's, it's a satire. Right? It's unbelievably funny. And I remember sitting in the theater watching that with a, a pretty full audience, and they were trying to watch a horror movie. <laughs> and a couple of us were laughing. <laughs> and they and I remember the audience being upset. Like they I like there wasn't supposed to be laughter, yeah. and they were trying like they were trying not to see the jokes. Because yeah. they had prepped themselves for a horror film. And about halfway through, and it's, there, it's the sequence you've probably seen out of context, which is where he's quoting uh, Huey Lewis in the news while he's killing Jared Leto in like a rain slicker. And they finally realize how funny the thing is that they're watching. And the whole audience has shifted paradigm. But it was a great example of it. It's, like, it's a cow like firmly. Yeah. It's like once we know what we're watching, what the label is, same thing happened with uh, Evil Dead 2, I remember. I, the first movie is oh, yeah. a low-budget low horror movie and actually scared the piss out of me. I'm not into horror movies. But then you go see Evil Dead 2 and it starts out the same way and it suddenly turns into a total, again, kind of a satire or kind of a parody is a better word for it on horror movies. And that's really what the last two of them were. But they marketed it as a scary movie, like like they marketed uh, American Psycho as a as a horror movie. And so uh, there were people getting up and leaving. You know? Yeah. And, and oh, so- for sure. I, I was in a, a theater in Florida and I was watching Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. The audience was there to see a Jim Carrey comedy. Mm-hmm. And I watched like half the audience get up and leave because it wasn't a, like their expectation. I mean, I'm like, stay, this is really good. This is really interesting. Like there's something happening here, but that was not what they, they weren't interested in because they were, they were preset on what, what the lane was that they wanted to be. And so anyway, I, all, I say all that just because it's like, yes, I think it's a science fiction thriller, but I, I get kind of, you know, as the author of it, you sort of feel a little bit uh uneasy as you mm-hmm. feel yourself getting sort of squeezed into a box well you could argue it's a you know private detective uh mystery or even a procedural depending on how the mystery progresses i mean there's a lot of things that you could it could be one more than one category for sure oh, for um, sure but yeah you, you make an excellent point it's it's that age-old you know people say i want something fresh and new and then you give them something fresh and new and they're like but it's not what like i read before you know and so right uh we are crazy 
crazy creatures, we, we humans. So Constance came out September 1st. It's available now anywhere you can you can get books. Uh, the author, folks, is uh, Matt Fitzsimmons. Um, and whatever genre you want it to belong in, I suppose <laughs> romance might not fit. Children's book might not fit. Uh, but uh, I think we can work it into whatever category you want it to be in after that. I'm looking forward to reading it, and uh, I think it's an exciting premise. Matt, I want to tell you thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun. All right, there you are, folks. Matthew Fitzsimmons. Uh, the book is Constance, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to giving it a read. Uh, I like science fiction, both of the very firmly futuristic uh, type uh, and the more uh, you know near future, slight variation on our reality sort of uh, science fiction as well. Cloning is an interesting topic, and uh, a number of writers are uh, running amuck with it. Uh, you give give a writer a concept, and he or she will uh, come up with something crazy for sure. All right. On our next episode of Wrong Place, Right Crime, we're going to talk to a debut author, Diego Ornelas Tapia. Diego's written uh, an interesting book, uh, actually has some science fiction tie-ins. I'll let him tell you about that next week on Wrong Place, Right Crime. Frank Zafiro update for you. Hey, uh, if you are a fan of the Charlie 316 series that I wrote with Colin Conway, that entire four-book arc is going to be on sale next week. I'm telling you now because the sale starts on Monday, the 25th. Charlie 316 will be free. Uh, the other books in the series will be 99 cents each, uh, all of these uh, on Kindle. So if you've been thinking about trying out this gritty police procedural, uh, this is the time. It's a four-book arc. And I guess as part of my update, I'll let you know that there will be a fifth book coming. It's more of a standalone book uh, set after the events of the four-book arc. It's called The Ride Along. I've mentioned it before, but uh, that should be out within a few months. Uh, for now, though, enjoy the Tyler Garrett saga for uh, like under three bucks. I should also let you know that I've set a release date for River City book number seven, Dirty Little Town. And this will be uh, at $2.99 uh, for the introductory price at launch uh, on November 18th. It is available for a pre-order now. So if you're a River City fan, get ready for book number seven. All right. I want to say a thank you to Matt for coming on the show, Down and Out Books, for sponsoring the show. And of course, you, the listener, for coming here. This is the 130th episode of Wrong Place, Right Crime. And I really appreciate each and every one uh, that you've taken the time to listen and uh, join me on this journey as we discover authors together. And I hope that you found some uh, new favorites along the way. Diego Ornelas Tapia on our next episode. And uh, until then, this is Frank Zaffaro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime. <laughs>